Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Genesis of Startups, where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business. Today, it is an honor to have Eric Belawe, an experienced hardware entrepreneur with a passion for developing and commercializing deep tech. Eric first cut his teeth with entrepreneurship by co-founding Archimedge Technology, an international prize-winning med startup that developed the world's first portable blood analyzer. He then went on to co-found Visospace, a startup working on the future of human-computer interaction by developing better user interfaces for VR and AR, and also Kinobionic, a bionic glove for hand paralysis. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hi. Thanks, William. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and you know, your plans for Kinobionic? Well, there would be a lot to say, I guess. I've studied optics, which is basically physics. So that gave me the, um, the background to, to love everything, deep tech and hardware. My school also had an entrepreneurship uh, curriculum. So I started really early on thinking about startups and planning projects. So then my first startup was for five years. I was mostly in China. So I've done a lot of manufacturing and development and sort of failed for the usual reasons of uh, startups. You always think it's going to be the tech the problem, but it always ends up being either the team or you know, regulatory or just fundraising, all of the things that you'd never think about when you start your company. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to find my partner when I was in China and she was from Sydney. So here I am. And here I was looking for hardware startups as well, but obviously there are not too many around. So when I found some guys working on a VR tool, which is to solve the locomotion problem in VR, I found that it was really interesting. So I spent about two years and a half uh, working on that. And it, it's really, it's just a traction problem. Um, since Australia is not famous for VR, not even hardware, it's really hard to find the right traction here. We ended up finding that the best market for it was entertainment with arcades, so entertainment venues, and that's also kind of a difficult market. Investors don't really like this sort of industry, and with COVID, it became even harder, I suppose. So not saying it's over, because we still have everything we need to sell products. We might have to wait a bit more time for VR to become popular enough for people to really think about locomotion, meaning how do you move in a virtual space? So in the meantime, I went back to my medtech roots and the origin of VisaSpace was uh, Puyaza Bofati uh, PhD, which was an exoskeleton for the hand to help move paralyzed fingers. And we realized that there's a lot more interest for that. The only work that's never been done is what is the application and what is the exact market for this product. And that's what we're doing now. And it's looking good because there are a lot of people with a spinal cord injury or after a stroke, they, they have paralysis on their hand. And that's really all that they can move. They can usually move the arm and the elbow, but without the fingers, you can't grab anything. And so you, yeah. you can use any tool and you're basically dependent on a carer to help you. So we're currently working on that and trying to raise money. So the, the current plan is to raise a pre-seed or seed round with the right investor um, that could bring us more than money. That's about it. 
Yeah, definitely. Sounds super exciting. Tell me more about this bionic glove for the hand paralysis, because I know that you mentioned at the beginning that one of the things that you know tripped up your first few startups was unforeseen challenges like regulations. And would that be an impact with Kinobionic? Yeah, that's a good point. Paradoxically, medtech is is harder than than most fields because you need the regulatory approval, TGA. But at yeah. the same time, people know that, so the funding goes with it. If you can prove mm. that there is a market for a device, people give you enough money to go through the trials and make sure it, it works. You know, there are lots of agencies to help you with the quality and all of that. So it's probably actually easier than people who have a non-medtech product and don't realize that electronics is also really hard to certify. Everything EMC, making sure there's no danger and you can just uh, use it in any condition. I think yeah. the, the problem with the unforeseen issues of a, of a startup is people usually think the problem is going to be the technology and they focus on that. And that's the, the rookie mistake, which I've made many times, but being techno push is actually not the way to go. <laughs> Hello. So everyone should focus on the market and showing that there is a business and there are people who are willing to pay for that. And if you do, then technology shouldn't be an issue because there's always someone that will give you enough money to make it happen. You know, as long as you're not going like over the limits of physics, I guess. Mm, I see. So the whole idea is just to get the funding and then the funding is going to be people invest in these sort of med tech startups are already aware of kind of the regulatory challenges. And so they expect some of the funds to be used to to ensure that the regulations are passed. Yep. It's like tolerance towards the, the timeline for the project yeah. to happen. What inspired you to start Kinobionic? Well, since the... The exoskeleton of the hand was the origin of VisaSpace, where Puya wanted to bring the hand in VR and mm. make it possible to grab virtual objects. It, it was easy to, well, we knew about it for, for a long time. It's just we couldn't find a market in VR for that hand because there are already some products like that. No one is really buying that. There's no clear need for it. However, the reverse seems to be pretty pretty good where you use the hand for assistance to help people move their fingers when they can't and then you plug VR on top of that to train them or to get them to learn how to use it. Yeah. Since so it's more of a new tool, it's sort of a, it becomes the, the gamification of any product. You can easily add that to make it more fun or easier to use, track people's pro um, progress. And yeah, it's sort of, again, we shouldn't have focused so much on, on VR as a technology because VR is just a tool like computers were a tool 30 years ago. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So how long have you been running companies for, Eric? So I graduated in 2011. And I started my first company in 2012, basically six months later. Wow. So it's been about eight years. What's your uh, biggest advice for aspiring entrepreneurs out there after starting several of your own? Well, I don't want to sound like Dr. House, but I would say <laughs> don't believe in anyone. 
Okay. I mean, he says everybody lies, and that's true. But this, in the same sense, it's not because they want to lie. It's because no one knows everything. No one can predict the future. So to be an entrepreneur basically means to listen to everyone, to process everything, and then make your own judgments, make your own opinion from everything you gather. So I would also recommend to read a lot because there are amazing books out there. People who spend their life researching startups and working on startups, they wrote amazing content yeah. that shouldn't be undermined. And then, yeah, another advice will also be, it's part of not believing anyone because there are a lot of consultants out there, um, contractors who, they cost a lot, we know that, but sometimes it's borderline scam because they they charge something that would take seconds or minutes to do just because they know how to do it and you don't. So another advice would be to always research everything and, and spend the time to learn a little bit of everything. Like if you need to make a 3D design, spend 10 minutes on the CAD software. If you need to make mm. uh, some electronics, you know, watch YouTube for 20 minutes on PCBs and how to do that. Because it's really important to know what takes time and what's hard and what is actually off the shelf and doesn't take any time. Yeah, definitely. So going back to the point on not believing anyone, could you give an example of kind of the, the dangers of just following step by steps from one particular source? Uh, examples. I would say the, the most common situation is to have mentors and advisors ask them on a particular um, issue and actually come back with three or four different point of view that sometimes just don't agree. Like everything is sort of contradictory. So mm. it's usually very confusing for entrepreneurs. And I've seen quite a few people being lost because they were asking for help and instead they got even more confused about the problem. So yeah. there's no solution to that. And even worse, like most people will try to help by giving you advice or by recommending a mentor. And most of the time it's not going to be helpful and it's going to be a waste of time. And it happens all the time, but we can't blame people for trying. So it's the entrepreneur's job to filter and find the right people. Yeah. And so if you're just starting out and you have zero experience, how can you learn how to filter well? Google is your friend. So I think <laughs> that not too... Pretty recently, I had a look at what is a good mentor. And there was a good sentence, which was, a mentor is uh, involved strategically, but is, uh, is completely out of the operation. So it's someone who knows everything about your business, listens to everything you've got to say, give you advice and recommendation, even introduction, but will never do anything like with their own hand. And it's exactly what it's about. It's someone who listens to you and understands what you're saying, but doesn't want to do it for you. I see. So even if you're starting out as someone with zero experience, when you start to get all this advice from different people, you still need to do your own research as opposed to, you know, listen to the blanket statements and take it for what it is. Yep. 
you know, we, it's easy to know when someone's not really listening, someone forgot half of your business plan, and you sort of, it's obvious they're not paying attention. And the other bad mentor will be the one that is trying to actually do something, go on the field and, and do the work for you, which is what you would expect from a co-founder, not a mentor. Yeah. Why is it bad if the mentor helps to do stuff? Because there's a bias in working directly on the field, which is exactly what you want to avoid with a mentor. So an entrepreneur is always in this world of in the project, within the problems, and hardly takes the time to take a step back and look at the business. And Mm -hmm. a mentor should be there just for that to have a, a non-biased point of view on everything that's happening, but at the same time with the knowledge of everything and the expertise to help you out in this field. Mm, definitely. And your second recommendation is to always research everything as opposed to you know just paying someone to do it for you. I think we can both agree that entrepreneurs are always strapped on time. And isn't the reason that we go out there to hire, say, contractors or employers is employees is to, you know, save on time. But if you were just going to research it yourself, then that kind of renders the, the purpose of hiring moot. But you'll notice I said five minutes and ten minutes for my two examples. Mm. The thing is you can't do everything and you can't spend your time developing technology when you actually have to talk to your customers. But everyone can spend five minutes looking at a software or 10 minutes watching YouTube on, on this particular issue. I yeah. think people just forget how sometimes it can be really simple. I just bought an Arduino for which there's a machine learning algorithm that's already available on TensorFlow. And I realized in five minutes, I can have a, an AI on a chip in my hand. Hmm. So I don't understand everything about it, but I know that... Putting the code there, making it work, took me five minutes. So I wouldn't hire yeah, someone to do that and spend three weeks and charge me to do something similar. It sort of put my expectation in the right place regarding what a contractor should do if, if I need something like that. Mm. So the whole idea is to spend that five or ten minutes really to figure out whether the task that you need to do is simple or complicated. And after that, then you can make an informed decision on whether to get someone to help you or just do it yourself. Yes, which I think eventually you want someone else to do everything because there's more value in having the big picture and deciding of the big strategy rather than being coding or anything. It's just um, you can't afford someone to tell you that it's going to take weeks when it's going to take hours. Mm, definitely. And it's not always what we think is hard that it is. So we, we've learned that the hard way in VR. Coding a game is actually fairly simple. Having an environment is really easy. But all of the interaction does nothing. It's a blank canvas of like how do you grab, how do you move, how do you play with an object in VR. There's no rules. No one made the UI and the UX in VR yet. Hmm. And I suppose that's the gap in the market that you spotted for for visitor space. Yeah, exactly. For specifically locomotion. But then you mentioned that it was kind of Australia, the market in Australia that is relatively new to VR. Is it different in America or elsewhere? Yeah. I mean, 
I would say yes, but we haven't spent enough time over there to be sure. So we know some VR startups from Sydney who went to the US and, and had some success. Some people might remember Meta, who was AR, and went to the US to have some success. And we went to San Francisco with the the next program and we we met a lot of people who were interested. So the feedback is always amazing, but we also know the culture is different. So they tend to say it's amazing, maybe if it if it isn't. I think it's just a matter of scale. Over there, the fact we are working on a new sort of technology wouldn't matter. It might even be good because you're different. Where in Australia, if you work on something too early, everyone's going to be skeptic and sort of ask you proof of the financial opportunity. Mm. So maybe some sort of, I don't want to say it's more risk averse, but it's an obvious difference between the number of VCs and startups, where here we have very few VCs and a lot of startups. And in the US, they have so many VCs that they have to chase the startups. Mm, wow, it's a huge difference. <laughs> Maybe Australians are risk adverse. They're more than the US anyhow. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to use that as an excuse for <laughs> or anything. It's just, it's a fact where you are based is big impact on your business. Yeah, but It's just another constraint that you're going to play with. I think our answer with Puya was to just uh, focus on the medtech project where there's a lot more money for medical things in Sydney in particular. Than, than anything technical or entertainment. Entertainment is really not a, a thing. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here today, Eric. No problem. Um, my focus is hardware startups. That, that's what I love, physical products, deep tech if possible. So if I can help anyone who's uh, looking for experience or contacts, I'm happy to help. Absolutely. Well, I hope the audience has found your insights into mentorship and doing the research yourself valuable. If you'd like to learn more about Eric or about any of his startups, Archimedge, Visospace or Kinobionic, feel free to drop us a line on LinkedIn, Facebook or Twitter. Until next time.